And I spell a song so you can sing along With my special guest star or two You like to sing and dance And this podcast by chance Explores musicals for you everyone welcome back to another episode of life's but a song a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals i'm your host john and with me today is a new friend of the pod he hosts the broadway breakdown it's matt Koplik. everyone i hope i said your last name right you said it how a lot of people say it is it Koplik? Not correct but but consistent uh Koplik. 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 like you're licking yeah. a cop oh <laughs> yeah Oh, we're right going down that route already. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, oh God, welcome. So we're knee deep into holiday season, and we are here to talk about Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. Now, I sometimes say Christmas in the Square, but that's just me because I feel like that makes more sense grammatically. A lot of things that would make sense are not a part of this movie's world. You are 100% correct with that statement. <laughs> so this, this movie came out in 2020. I think it's a Netflix movie. I don't think it was 100%. ever. 100%. I mean, it came out during the pandemic. I think it was also, mm-hmm. no, it was filmed way before. Uh, I believe it was filmed in December of 2019 or like January of 2020. So it was definitely filmed before the like, pandemic. Yeah. Like right before. When it uh, hit but it was America. Always, really. Yeah, when it hit America. Uh, but it was always meant to be a Netflix exclusive. That was always the case. Okay. The screenplay is by Maria S. Schlatter Mm -hmm. and music and lyrics by the diva Dolly Parton. I mean, we'll get to her in the movie, but still Dolly Parton as a person, everyone needs to bow down to her. Like she's an iconic human being for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The nicest person ever, I would say. I don't think I've ever read a a negative article about her unless it was somebody who was like a bitter, jaded Betty. I'll put it this way. Dolly Parton is allowed to have this movie and not have it tarnish who she is or her legacy. Right. Yeah, she's allowed. She's allowed to do it. Uh, It was directed by Debbie Allen, also the choreographer. Uh, Mm -hmm. Welcome back to the podcast, Debbie Allen. And according to IMDb, an embittered Scrooge of a woman plans to sell her small town, regardless of the consequences to the people who live there. However, a kind-hearted angel arrives and shows her what would happen before she mends her ways and redeems herself. I don't think that last part happens. If <laughs> She definitely doesn't show her what would happen. That implies that it's like, it's a wonderful life, but it's not at all. Or even a Christmas carol. Yeah, it's kind of like it takes the general concept of a Christmas carol and then goes, okay, now let's just run away from that. And Jesus. Oh, Jesus is all over this thing. Jesus is all over this thing. So, Or so his father. They call him the big guy a lot. Yes. (laughs) This movie is so wild. I I watched it last year with my mom and I was laughing my ass off the whole movie. Oh, absolutely. That's ex- so what a wonderful uh, connection. That is exactly what happened to me last year. I am currently living with my mother. And because 2020 for a lot of us was an ordeal, and mm-hmm. we were sort of able by November to kind of 
breathe a little bit, I told her what we're going to do is from Thanksgiving to Christmas is every night we are going to watch a bad Netflix or Hulu Christmas movie or holiday movie. Uh, So, you know, watch both Princess Switches, all of the uh, Christmas Princes, Holiday, Christmas in California, Jingle Jangle, which is actually quite good. No one told us it was going to be good. It was was still wild and crazy, but good. Oh, it's wild and crazy, but like, I don't know, much more in control of that than a lot Mm -hmm. of other movies, I would say. Uh, And we watched Christmas on the Square fairly early and honestly peaked with it because nothing really matched the absurdity of this movie for us to the point that I've now probably watched it six times since then and also did a special episode on this movie for my podcast about a year ago. Uh, so yeah so i'm very much looking forward to talking about again i could honestly this and diana i could talk about till we're both dead. (laughs) talk about them both till we're both dead oh my god so i was a little confused if you look on the imdb which you said that you have it up and you the listener if you pull it up it says that miss maria uh schlatter wrote also wrote also the stage version of this but i've never heard of this as a stage version nor has google so yes do you know anything about that so my friend ali gordon and i when we recorded this uh we both had we had the same thought we were like what is this play it there's no trace of it anywhere the best thing we could think of basically there are probably one of two options one is that it's possible that this was performed at dollywood for a while and never but i feel like if it were Uh, at dollywood there would be some paper trail about it but that's that's the most um uh what's more uh mainstream version of our of the story we can think of the other thing is like i don't know this was a play written by uh maria schlatter who i think also has a lot of work in tv right she like wrote a lot for award ceremonies and and believe i read a lot of that yeah yeah she our other theory is that she wrote this play that most likely never got produced and maybe through a connection with dolly dolly right and said oh we should Uh, make this a musical and dolly has a netflix deal as we know with heartstrings and hit the ground running i don't think i knew that dolly had a netflix deal until looking this stuff up i mean most people have netflix deals unfortunately but yes no i do believe dolly has a netflix deal because she has quite a few things now playing with netflix mary lane haskell who plays i don't remember her name she's married to the pastor that's all i know oh oh i'm sorry do you mean father christian's wife father christian's wife yes she was in three dolly parton netflix movies this is her fourth wait this is her third one, I should say. Yeah. She was in this one, Dolly Parton's Coat of Many Colors, which I'm assuming is Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I suppose. I have okay. no idea. And then Dolly Parton's Christmas of Many Colors, Circle of Love. On top of that, her mother, Mary Donnelly Haskell, is in the movie as well. She's Stop. she's the one who keeps saying, bless her heart. And, who, and she's also been in a lot of Dolly things. And... Je- uh, what's her name? Uh, Mary's. No, they're both named Mary. Uh, both Mary's father slash Mary's husband is one of the producers of this and has produced many Dolly things as well. So Dolly keeps it all in the family. Keeping to families s- together. I have to say though, Mary Lane Haskell, the wife of Father Christian, so stupid. 
I actually really liked her in this movie. Like, I kind of want to see her break away from the Dolly's musicals and maybe do a, a different one. But that's just my opinion. Uh, based on her credits, I don't want to project, but it does seem like she's perfectly happy being in the Dolly universe. Oh, but yes, totally. I, but money I agree money. with you. She, I would say there are, there are a hand. I don't want, okay. I do love this movie mostly for all the wrong reasons, but I do want to give credit where it's due. There are a couple of strong performances. I think Christine Baranski is a solid anchor in this movie. Of course. Giving it a much better performance than it deserves. The actress who plays Felicity, Janine Mason, who I guess was on Dancing with the Stars or So You Think You Can Dance, something like that. Which one was Felicity? Oh, the The Angel in Training. Angel in Training. Yeah. She was also a voice in Trollstopia which mm-hmm. was a musical TV show. I don't know if she sang on it, but... She also, I believe, had a small bit in an episode of You're the Worst where she's doing the exact opposite of this movie. Yes, she absolutely did. Great. Uh, I think she's pretty charismatic and lovely in this. And yeah, I would say Mary, as Father Christian's wife, is giving a lovely, grounded performance. Uh, every now and then, you know, embellishes in the way that everyone kind of does in this movie. But I would also argue it's incredibly impressive considering uh, the performance of Father Christian that she has to work off of. Well, he was on On Your Feet too. Have you? Did you see that show? I was at opening night of On Your Feet. Who did he play? Him. He played uh, Gloria Stefan's husband. What's his name? Um, I almost said Emilio uh, Estevez, and I was like, "That's not right. <laughs> that is not right." No. Um, I, I I honestly forgot. I saw that show. The only thing, only two things I remember about On Your Feet were actually uh, Josh Segarra as the husband. He came out in tiny, tiny shorts and everyone lost their minds because he's got lovely legs. And uh, where, who is... Emilio Estefan. Estefan. Emilio Estefan. Yeah, so you're you're close. I was close. Uh, Wrong last name, but right first name, Bazinga. I also, and I also remember from that show, I will never pronounce Gloria Estefan's name, mispronounce it ever again because they say her name a million times. Gloria Estefan. <laughs> they say it a million times because every scene they would go, Gloria, you can't do that. You're a woman. And she would go, watch me. And then the next scene would be, she did it. Can you believe it? Anyway, back to the story. Gloria, you can't do this new thing. You're a woman. Watch me. Next scene. She did it again. It's just that rinse and repeat. Oh my God. Speaking uh, of amazing storytelling, Christmas on the Square. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was watching it and, you know, the choreography of this movie is also equal is like equally wild and crazy as the story mm-hmm. is, but like that opening number, there's like every dance style in it. Yeah. Also, what's the temperature? What's the weather of this town? Whatever it was in the studio. Because some people are in chunky sweaters and earmuffs and long, you know, puffy pants. And then some people are in mini skirts and ankle boots. And then you have the aerialist in the gazebo in a leotard. Yes, and leg warmers. And leg warmers. Ah, uh, it's... Uh, what uh, was the other Debbie Allen thing you covered? Because you said that she was something else on the podcast. A few... Uh, a while ago, we did a show... Uh, I covered a TV... Another TV film called Polly, which was based off of Pollyanna. But it starred uh-huh. um, Keisha Knight-Pullman and Felissa Rashad. Uh-huh. Miss Debbie Allen's sister. Basically, yeah. And <laughs> no, the, she is she is her sister. 
Oh, they're related. Yeah. I did. Why didn't we say that on the episode? Anyway, she, Debbie Allen directed that. And I believe she also choreographed it. And that one was a Disney channel movie back in Uh the nineties. So not as wild and crazy as this is, which I don't know who made it wild and crazy uh, Christmas on the square, but I'm okay with that. Debbie Allen, Debbie Allen made it wild and crazy. Debbie Allen choreography is known to be wild and crazy. If you ever watch her choreography from the Broadway production of Carrie, it's absolutely insane. Her choreography for the movie Fame is insane. She's just like, she does not understand that dancers are people and they have bodies that can break and you need to treat them carefully. Also in the opening number, you have people like doing step touches. You have the aerialist. You have the gaze in the salon voguing. You have, I believe, a tap people. and you Tap have, people at the bank, yeah. And then you have like, you know, the the dancer chorus, if you will, doing like all the five, six, seven, eights. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what the fuck am I watching? You have Mary Lane's mother saying, I need some mistletoe. And then the gays just decide to lift her up for five seconds. And then she walks away. It's great. I love it so much. I love this movie <laughs> so much. And of course, Jennifer Lewis is also in this movie. Like, why not? Jennifer Lewis! Jennifer one Lewis. N, one, one N, one I, and a hell of a lot of talent. Oh my God. Ooh, actually, wait. So are, are, we, are we diving into it? Are we just going through all the numbers now? Is that what's happening? Are we, we can do whatever you want. I have well, I just questions, but we can talk about the musical numbers too. It's your it's your podcast. I just there's something I do want to say when we get to Miss Lewis's number, her big oh, no. of me Go. number. I mean, this is a sexy segue for it, so you may as well. Fantastic. So, well, I, yeah, because we do need to come back to the opening number. Honestly, we could spend five hours on that opening number dissecting <laughs> everything. Miss Jennifer Lewis when she's singing the Queen of Mean. So, she is Regina's best friend from childhood and we know this because christine baranski tells us so in uh rhythmic exposition and like a patter would she, right would yeah you call it that? She, she does it a lot of times when she informs the pastor about the eviction she goes it's my duty to inform you especially since you are the pastor this town is being sold so let's avoid disaster it's so good and then she i love informed- that you have it memorized by the way I've seen this movie so many times. I also, and she does the same thing with Jennifer Lewis. She's like, just because we're best friends who grew up here together, don't you say anything because X, Y, Z. But the movie is filled with this. Same thing with Father Christian's wife saying, you know, getting fertility treatments is better than anything that comes in paper. What the fuck was that about? (laughs) Regina Fuller, we haven't seen you you since your father died six months ago and we went to his funeral. We miss him so much. It's like the way you talk to people. I love this movie with every fiber of my being. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and we've been told by Re- that regina fuller a- aka national icon christine baranski is selling the town that she inherited because her father died and he owned the town uh and she, she jennifer lewis is her best friend she does hair and the next day jennifer lewis shows up to do her hair and sings this whole song about how like regina used to be so sweet now you're the queen of mean and it's going on while she's quote-unquote doing Christine Baranski's hair and and facial and all that stuff. And it's so very clear. Jennifer Lewis does not know how to cut hair, does not understand what it is to do something for someone else. And no one on set bothered to tell Jennifer Lewis, hey, here's how you comb hair. Here's how you scissor a hair. Here's how you hold a person's face. 
Because she just goes for broke. And I love it because it makes Christine Bransky break. Well, I don't know if Christine Bransky is wearing a wig or not during that. Because it's totally a wig. Okay. You probably, she was probably also told not to cut the wig because they probably only had one wig because all of their budget went to Dolly's clothes. Let's be real here. Even though Dolly had her own costume designer as it's credited at the end. But you see her at one point, I think the scissors are closed and she's just like, with like like brushing it through the hair as if she's cutting it and mm-hmm. it's like what are you doing what and then she, you <laughs> you know by the end of the song she's going to fuck up her hair somehow yeah because because like like you said the scene before she got the eviction notice so like why is she gonna do a great job at cutting this person's hair who's evicting her i mean that is more insight than anything jennifer lewis christine baranski or debbie allen put into that scene it's just i think it's honestly that they told Jennifer Lewis, you're to do her hair. Because up until the very end, she isn't really doing anything. Uh, they never uh, imply that she's trying to mess it up. Like she does the roll. Like, like eventually they cut and her hair is in rollers. They cut oh, her hair is like in a wrap and all that stuff. It's just, she's just like, she takes the brush and she starts, you know, teasing it. But it just looks insane. She does the scissor thing. And I love it so much just because Jennifer Lewis does not even attempt to make it look like she is a professional knowing what she's doing. She's like, I'm Jennifer Lewis. Why would I ever need to cut someone else's <laughs> hair? Why would I ever cut my own? Why would I ever touch hair? I have people I can pay to touch hair for me. And so she does it basically projecting to the world. I am Jennifer Lewis. And don't you forget. And I love it very much. She's so good. This movie, the three, the, the trio of Dolly Parton, Christine Baranski and Jennifer Lewis, like, I want them in every, I want them to recreate nine to five. I want them to do Charlie's Angels with those three women. Oh my God. Yes. But no one does any like actual action. It's mostly, they just kind of belittle the opponent into giving them the information they need. Like um, they, go, they go undercover and the villain's like, I'm not giving you anything. And Jennifer Lewis smacks them upside the head. It's like, don't you know who I am? And Christy Brancy has a martini and she's like, we could do this the easy way. Or the hard way. I can make you cry. And Dolly Parton takes her acrylic nails and slashes them across the face. It's perfect. And then Christine Baranski breaks out into a Sondheim song. Like, (laughs) just cause. Just cause. Also, so many things about this opening number I could just dissect with a fine-tooth comb. There's one last thing I do want to say, and then I swear we can move on. There are all these little details in the opening number that really drive home the fact that, like, people poured over this film. Like they like really thought through every decision, every moment. There is a moment in the opening number when Treat Williams comes out as uh, what's his face, the dude with the, the, Christine Baranski's ex-lover. Mm-hmm. And he's singing about the square and there's that old lady who's like, lovely day. And <laughs> love her. I love everything about this movie. And he sings about the lovers. And then there's like, oh, children with snowball fights. And you see kids throwing snowballs. And there's a close-up of one kid who gets a snowball thrown at him, hits him in the face. And then you hear in voiceover, like, this is looped in in post-production, the kid going, ow, my eye. And... Uh Like, they could have just not used that take. But not only did they use that take, they brought the kid back in to loop in him saying, ow, my eye. Are you sure it was the kid and not just somebody else that they pulled off the street? I mean, it sounds like a kid, but it could be that woman who does like Tommy Pickles and Rugrats or something, you know? Tara Strong? Yes, it could be her. Could be Tara Strong. But you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where you go, 
oh, this was a hard choice they made. They committed to this. They went through post-production to make this happen. There's so much that happens. Do you feel like there are, that there are too many storylines happening in this movie? I mean, I guess it depends on what you want from this movie. <laughs> True. Because, like, there's a moment where I mentally checked out. I don't, I don't know if you did as well. Because mm. there's, like, a big dip in it. I think it's, a, it's around when Violet goes to the hospital. I'm like, okay, I'm done. Mm. Yeah. I stopped it is. It is kind of one thing's too many. I will. Okay. Yeah. So you're right. I will say this. While I do love everything that comes out of Violet getting hit by the car and being in the hospital and whatnot, it's meant to be sort of the serious moment of the movie, but they treat it with the same amount of respect as they do the rest of the movie. So for anyone who does not know Christmas on the square, first of all, pause this podcast and watch it right here, right now. I'm sorry. We spoiled it for you. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Violet gets hit by a car. Violet is the nine-year-old daughter of the like local uh, bar owner or whatever it is. And so she tends bar while her father's at like the town meeting. And it's honestly, when she came out and started tending bar, pouring whiskey for Christine Bransky and then poured herself a glass of milk, I went, this movie is operating on a level that none of us can ever hope to achieve. They got paid to do this. Somebody yes. paid them to read the script and perform. I mean- not gonna lie, what what's the song that she sings? Life is not a fairy tale. Fairy tale, yeah. Great singing. She's a great voice. If that is actually her, you know. I hope so. She's singing the top harmony. She's she's up in Christine Baranski. She's she has a great voice. But I was just like, you are acting like you're a thirty five year old woman and you are ten or whatever but that's what i that's what i love about it like i want to see this girl i want to see this girl in ruthless the musical because that's Uh, that's what makes a good tina denmark is a nine-year-old who can act 30 but so violet violet and christine bransky they connect it's like the first one that christine bransky's heart starts to warm a little bit only to find out that like violet's mom died because they had to go to another town to get her mom med. Oh, to go. Oh, they had to get Violet medicine when she was a baby because the rent was too high for the pharmacy there because of Christine Baranski somehow. I don't, the whole like timeline of this movie is, yeah. Cause What's apparently her story. Di- <laughs> well, it's the backstory, but like, I, and it shows you how many times I've watched this movie that I'm starting to like create my own uh, homeland, like map of timelines and everything. Because Christine Bransky's father owned the town. And Uh, then they say that, and then Christine Bransky inherited it when he died six months prior. However, apparently Christine Bransky also like was in charge of the town while her father still owned it, while she moved away to New York City, hiked up all the rent. So the pharmacist had to move to another town. Violet was sick as a baby. Her mom drove to the other town to get the medicine, died in a car crash. And Violet's like, if I wasn't sick, it wouldn't have happened. Christine Bransky's like, no, it's not your fault. But I can't tell you that it's my fault because I'm not there yet. And we cut to later on in the movie, Violet and her father go to lay flowers on her mother's grave like she does every Christmas, which is a direct line from the father in the movie. And they get hit by a car. Violet needs uh, invasive brain surgery. And there's no brain surgeon uh, no, there's no like neurosurgeon for children, pediatric neurosurgeon, whatever the title fucking is. Sorry, am I allowed to curse? Oh yeah, say whatever the okay, fuck great. you want. Fantastic. Uh, there's no fucking pediatric neurosurgeon in in Fullerville, so Christine Bransky gets another one to come in. All this happens about three in three hours. Violet gets hit by a car, 
the top neuro pediatric neurosurgeon in this country helicopters in from over a hundred miles, gives Violet the surgery, and then Violet wakes up in three well, hours. I mean, Violet also wakes up with the hand of Dolly Parton as the angels. So yes, there is a little no, magic there at the end. There is magic, and Dolly Parton also knocks up the pastor's wife. But yeah, that's an immaculate conception, right? That happens at the end. Unclear. I don't know if they're trying to be like, we're just giving Pastor Christian's sperm a little push, or if they're like, eh, his sperm don't do none. Let's just get it in there. Y'all just fucked. Let's make sure it lays an egg. Yeah, let's make sure you stuck the landing, Father Christian, because he didn't stick anything else today. Um, but no. oh my God. My one of my favorites <laughs> is so like the day after Christine Baranski gives out all the eviction notices. There's already like giant ass posters and all these flyers about the um resisting the Regina. Resistance. Yeah. And I was just like, did you guys have these on hand just in case? I mean, it is pretty quick. It's a quick turnover. Also, the sign that's on the church where they're like, it's really big. She can see it from space. That sign is three feet wide and two feet tall. Well, yeah. And <laughs> if you notice on there, it's like, it has that resist Regina or whatever. And then in smaller letters at the bottom, it says when the meeting is. And you're just like, I need to squint to see that one. <laughs> also, I love it. They're like, we need to tell everyone where the meeting is. It's like, this town has five buildings in it. It would take me three seconds to figure out where this meeting is. <laughs> Okay, so before we started recording, you said that you and your mom would watch all these shitty Christmas movies. Or you said Mm -hmm. it during this episode. I don't know. What is time? Anyway, do you watch, have you watched like Hallmark movies? I have not in this past year. So Netflix basically has taken up that hole for me. But yes. Because I mean, this has similar vibes to a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies where... Mm -hmm. They say Christmas one every, once every five lines in the script mm-hmm. and everyone is like jacked up about Christmas. So I was just like, okay, so was this supposed to be for Hallmark or was this always going, going to Netflix? I don't know. I don't know. I have, I, I will stick to my truth that I believe it was always meant for Netflix, especially when you see some of the stuff that Netflix has produced for the holidays. It, it's up there with that. Like Netflix is trying to become the new Hallmark. One of the things that this movie has in common with those other movies is, I don't know how many you've seen as well, but there's usually a certain trajectory when it comes to like small town based movies is that the there's someone from the big city comes in and understands the true meaning of what it is to be a human being through Christmas and small town morals. And I always want to, and unlearns that like, not all small town people are hicks. Like we, we can be just as smart as you can. We just don't have your big fancy Chanel bag. And I always wanted a movie where like someone from a small town comes to the big city and has their mind expand from all the different people that they get to meet in a big city. Like they try to have it both ways. Cause this is the most uh, diverse small Kansas town of all time. Although nobody is Jewish. They're and in Kansas. They say it at one point because they say I've, they're in Kansas at one point. Well, first of all, you know that it's middle America because there is the song, the wickedest witch, the middle. Do they sing that because it's in Kansas? They say the wickedest witch because of Dorothy and everything. Cause they say there's the wicked witch of the West, the East, and they're in middle America. So she, Regina's the wickedest witch of the middle and Dolly Parton finds five words that rhyme with middle and uses them repeatedly. 
because that not a lot rhymes with middle but the few words that do it's true you better believe she's going to use it because she's an icon but this is my sixth time watching the movie and they i finally caught the line where they say kansas where when who says it somewhere in the first 15 minutes someone says kansas okay but it's so fleeting honestly the only thing faster than someone saying what state they're in is violet's recovery from brain surgery you know what's even wilder this this movie won two emmys I know, including choreography. It won outstanding choreography for scripted programming and outstanding television movie. And I'm just like, what were the other options? Granted, I know 2020 was a little lackluster in film. Mm-hmm. I have to imagine there was something. Oh God, I hope so. I mean, I've seen x-rays that were had more <sighs> integrity than this movie. Watching paint dry is more entertaining. Than this movie. Oh, I disagree with that. This movie is oh. entertaining as fuck, but like, is it? Is it? In, does it have any integrity? The the thing that I always that always baffles me because we talked about like that dip that kind of gets boring. Especially, mostly, it's the backstory of what made Regina so mean, which is you know, she she went to a dance, saw that her boyfriend had a ring out. It, it's it, let's not even go into it because it's so stupid and it's all just like so contrived that any person with two years of high school would be able to spot the stupidity of this misunderstanding. But also with is, any, anybody with two years of high school would be like that kid that she dances with is not a high schooler. Cause he has a nope. perfect goatee and chest hair. Like what? Hey, let's not shame body hair that comes at a young age, but, he, but it's it, like perfect. It's, it's full. It's not just like the three hairs that one would have as a teenager. Well, it's the 70s. You know, people were doing a lot of cocaine and growing things out naturally. <laughs> that kid was a, was totally 21 years old. <laughs> oh, I, oh, this was totally a 23-year-old who crashed a high school dance. Let's yeah. be 100% clear, especially because he's like, he moved on to the next town and another girl. I'm like, this guy just goes from city to city finding junior high schoolers and knocking them up. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's someone out there that did that, but like, it's very specific. And oh I'm like, I don't know what his aim is. Like, he doesn't get money out of it. He does like he literally, he's like, yep, I hit it and quit it. On to the next time. I'm like, that's a really expensive hobby to have between bus fares and like staying at the Holiday Inn. That's like really expensive. Also, 1970, there are like you you had to pay cash, I believe, with everything. So he had to have a yeah. lot of cash on hand. Well, I guess he saved money by not paying any for any condoms, but you know. That's, other than that it's a pretty expensive hobby to have i mean he's like uh kurt russell in guardians of the galaxy 2 it seems like i have not seen guardians of the galaxy 2 but i will say yes and to that that is a funny joke for those mcu people who are listening to this so please giggle with me tee hee 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 but um Oh, this goes that that we keep coming back to that dip that you don't like. But so that serious part where it's like this is Regina's sad moment, and this is why she is who she is. And then we see that Violet gets in the car crash and all that stuff. It always annoys me. Violet gets she's like in the coma. the The neurosurgeon shows up in twenty minutes, gives her the invasive brain surgery twenty minutes later, and everyone's like, "Now, if only she would just wake up." And I'm like, "She just had brain surgery five minutes ago, and she's seven. Give her a minute." 
We keep decreasing her age. She was born two days ago. Give her five seconds, please. <laughs> and Let- then she's out dancing on the square a minute later. It's like, come on, girl. With the headband. With the head bandage. Uh, that lovely hand bandage. No, no dry blood for Violet. She's too busy. Can we she's talk got ab- tips to make it that far. Can we talk about Treat Williams for a hot second? Speaking of a hot second, Treat Williams, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, do you feel like he looks too old to play Christine Baranski's high school boyfriend, like former lover? Like Christine Baranski looks ageless in my opinion. I know she's a woman of a certain age. I don't know what that certain age is and I don't want to know, but it feels like if I had to like age them, he's like in his sixties and she's in her fifties. So, you know how you said what is time? Right. You, know, you know, you know what is time? Christmas on the square won't answer that for you. It just right. gives you a candy cane and tells you to shut your stupid <laughs> God-hating mouth. That is what it tells you to do. Also, um, go to church. <laughs> also, talk to the big guy once in a while. It's, I think, literally, realistically, they are in the same age bracket. I think Christine Bransky has just aged extremely well because I believe Christine Bransky is like 70 she's she's way older than we realize because she's been around she's been in the game since the late 70s maybe even early 80s wow i say maybe even early somewhere in the late 70s early 80s is when she kind of started to come on the rise uh i want to say so yeah that's like 40 ish years so and and like i know treat williams was in the movie version of hair way back in the day yeah i mean i think biggest age difference is maybe like six or seven years on it let's go on imdb we have it open let's find out oh, but to no. answer your question he does look significantly older than she does right because uh, i was i was watching it and i was just like you just look he, so old i he is one year older than she is stop really yeah. he was born in 51 she's born in 52 stop you stop right you you're such a liar you stop, you stop right now. You move, you move away from him. Oh, I see you stealing. We're not doing line of the Piazza, but still. Um, yeah, no, have to cut that out. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to owe Adam Gettle 50 cents. I don't, yeah, I don't want to be, I don't want the throngs of people to be like, ooh, copyright material. Oh, I've, I've given up that ghost a long time ago, honey. I know. I, I have, just say, deal with it. I know I have tens of listeners, but whatever. <laughs> Listen, we all have tens of listeners. If we want to get hundreds of thousands, we have to go to TikTok. And I have not killed myself enough just yet to get there. But I don't know, three more views of this movie. Maybe I will. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is wild. When you suggested it, party was like, oh, good. And then another party was like, fuck, I have to rewatch this movie. Well, I gave you options. You did give me options. But then this one I was, because it's perfect for holiday season, which is what we're in. Mm -hmm. Hooray. Yeah, but I was just like, "Fuck! I have to rewatch this crazy ass movie." Okay, I guess. Well, okay. So I'm assuming you're having someone cover Diana on Netflix for you, yes? Or you've already done it? The whole premise of this is to do film adaptations, not like Diana oh, not, or Hamilton. not filmed versions of stage, not filmed stage shows. Got it. Correct. All right. Well, I'll just put it. I'll just say this then: having seen Diana on Netflix and then recently on Broadway. It is so strong and wrong that it is 
wildly entertaining from start to finish. I was more entertained by Diana than I was by a lot of so-called like, uh, what's I'm looking for? Uh, distinguished musicals, I want to say. Diana is bad, but it is bad. It's the kind of bad room. Like, at least you are not wasting my time. Christmas on the Square, I would argue, never really wastes your time, except for those five minutes where it tries to be really, really serious. The, the re- <laughs> as we talked yeah. about. But even that dip, because the backstory is so bonkers, like the first time you watch it, anyone who watches this movie for the first time, I can't imagine being bored for a second. Once you start watching it a couple more times and you know what's coming, that dip is definitely gets lower mm. and lower. If memory serves, when I watched it last year, that dip also hit hard. Well, then you're smarter than I am because I, I, I just sit, sat there going, everything about this makes no sense. I'm living my fantasy. And like, sometimes there just be certain, sometimes little details just get you, right? So like the whole flashback happens because they're driving to the hospital and all of a sudden, like while they have the establishing shot of the hospital, you hear the voiceover of Felicity just ever so invasively going, Regina, we're at the hospital. Like it just comes in so hard, especially after Christine Bransky has been doing like the softest of voiceovers. And so Felicity just comes in. She's like exterior hospital afternoon. It's like, it's things like that just always keep me on my, on my ass. So I really, I just really thoroughly enjoy it. The only thing that I just like can't ever care about is the song after Wickedest Witch in the Middle and Regina is like, I'm now pushing your eviction to tomorrow. And Father Christian. You mean try? Is that what it's called? Try, yes. I mean, the song is trying, but. (gasps) I actually liked that one. Well, congratulations. Being trash. Well, (laughs) I mean, I think I, I think I more like it because it got to showcase the voice talents. I mean, acting, whatever. The you you, give me at least the voices. Like the the singing was phenomenal in that song. The singing is good in the whole movie. I, I don't think that anyone sounds bad. True. Uh, I mean, is Jennifer Lewis sharp on her Queen of Mean song? I don't even. I can't tell you what the actual melody is. So. I think she just said, I don't like these notes. I'm choosing my own. And Dolly Parton knew better than to argue. But because she's Jennifer fucking Lewis. She's Jennifer Lewis, one N, one I, and a hell of a lot of talent. She, she, try for me, I'm like, especially now that I know what's coming after, which is fairy tale. I'm like, let's, I want to get to Violet. I want to get to the star. I'm done with Father Christian. I don't, I, I can't care enough about Father Christian. He's the character that I, like the least in the entire movie um because he's just so somber and i will say josh Segura, i actually think is a quite a talented actor the irony of him is that he has the looks of a leading man but his talents really are as a comedic actor if you've ever seen him in the other two or he has like one brief scene in train wreck like he's funny he's really funny uh because he's a weirdo and so i don't like i don't like him in these roles where he has to kind of be more uh pensive Yeah, it's serious, you know, like the weight of the town is on my shoulders. I'm like, he would be, honestly, if he played Felicity, the angel in training that's trying to get Regina, like that, he would slay that role because he's such a weirdo. Um, And Father Christian is such a dud of a role that anytime they focus on him for too long, I'm like, I don't care. Back to Jennifer. Back to that woman who goes, lovely day. Like, I want those people. Where are they at? Give me Mary Lane Haskell some more. Give her some more lines. And her wonderful sweater cape. Like, come on. (laughs) That that number she has with him at the beginning, not the beginning, but like the second or third number 
uh, where they're singing about their love to each other because they can't make babies. And she's wearing like an off the shoulder red sweater and then like a cape. And then she's wearing like not Louboutins, but kind of Louboutins with no, uh, with her exposed ankles. And and you're just like, is this supposed to be December 25th in the middle of America? Come on. She's freezing. Uh, I did read though that there is no soundtrack album so i'm sorry that you have to basically watch this movie in order to listen to these songs however try is an actual song from dolly parton way back like back in 2014 um it was on her album called blue smoke and then on a holly dolly christmas album that Mm -hmm. came out in 2020 she re-recorded christmases and christmas on the square so oh right because she opens with christmases that's yeah. what Christmas is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Also, I want many... fairy tale though. I want fairy tale too. But as much as I love Christine, I want it with like Dolly and Carrie Underwood. You know, I want that. Ooh. I want that duet. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want that. Also, how many days do you think Dolly was actually on set? Because there are many moments where she's clearly green screened in. Uh, well, so I was thinking about uh what is that song that she sings where she's on the cloud is that light your lamp yeah we're talking about the lamp lighter yeah yeah so i thought that was i don't know if she was actually on set with christine baranski or if she was cgi'd in but that that's a day um all the car driving scenes i feel like took place in the course of a day uh (laughs) I mean, but she's also like not in the car. Like obviously being there's one the... time she's in the car. Or at least, you know, her feet are. Well, so that's the thing. There's a shot of her feet next to Christine Baranski, but it's an isolated shot of her feet. You know. And I'm like, that's that's probably a stand-in. Uh, because especially the opening number, she you know, her she's the guardian angel named Angel. And she begins as a uh, homeless person, the only homeless person in all of Fullerville, Kansas, which I have to say, if your town is one homeless person, you, something's going pretty okay there. But also, why have the one homeless person give them a job? Uh, but <laughs> she's, Jennifer Lewis, have her sweep up your hair. Jennifer Lewis, you are the first female mayor of Fullerville. You said so. Like, get support women. Get her a job in your salon. <laughs> but... <laughs> In her, in her salon but in the opening scene like every time you see dolly again because she's supposed to be an angel they give her sort of this glow but she just does not fit in with the scene like it looks like she's pasted in and either that's just really great uh post-production where she was on set and they were able to make it look like she wasn't but it i don't think so i think she maybe was on set for a day for her big like the big i believe angels number where you know she knocks up the pastor's wife. I'm thinking of the ending too when she. Oh, she looks like the poster <laughs> for Angels in America. Wings, when her wings come out. It's so stupid. I love her. You want her to say, Greetings, prophet. The messenger has arrived. The great work begins. <laughs> and then they go into nine to five. I actually, I want her to do Linus's monologue from A Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. I want to do Viola Davis's monologue from the, uh, Doubt, where she says, yes. I don't care if the if the preacher's molesting my son. Anything else you want to talk about this movie before I get to Sharp and Flat? Have we been talking about this movie? I blacked out 45 minutes ago. I it's hope this a- has been okay. I feel like we've been all over the place. I've got some content here that I could play with. 
That's what got Christine Bransky to say yes to this movie. She looked at the script. She said, there's some content here I can play with. <laughs> All right, let's get into Sharp and Flat, shall we? Great, fantastic. Sharp Flat. Uh, so we're going to highlight some moments, whether we talked about it or not. And if we liked it, it's sharp. But if we didn't like it or thought it should change, it's flat. Matt, what are your sharps? You can say the whole movie. And you're allowed to. I know you want to. I do want to. Well, so no, I'm going to try to actually be earnest for a second and, and talk about things be- that I think are legitimately lovely. I think a huge sharp is fairy tale. I think that whole scene with Violet and Regina with Christine Bransky and the young star that she is, I forgot her name. I'm so sorry, young dear. But uh, that scene I think is fantastic. At least they're fantastic in it. And there's just, it's that weird balance where camp and earnestness meet. And it's like heightened enough that it's different, but it's not so extreme that you're like, what the hell is going on here? Like it's a, it's a good balance. So I think that's great. Um, as I've said before, Christine Bransky is giving a good performance. I think Mary, what's her face, is giving a very good performance. Mary Lane as, oh, her name is Jenna Hathaway. Pastor Christian Hathaway and Jenna Hathaway. We never get their last name there. They, he's always just called Father Christian. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I think I blacked out this movie yet again, and I only remember certain moments of it. Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> Earnestly, probably that's it. Uh, I do on a camp level I think that opening number is just so wild that I'll never not be obsessed with it the for anyone who does who did not get as much from me as they wanted out of this episode where I was just going on too many tangents and not talking about the movie enough you can go to uh, my podcast Broadway Breakdown where I talked about with Allie Gordon one thing I say about it is this movie is the cinematic equivalent of a cosmopolitan with a crucifix shaped candy cane garnish inside of it while you that you drink at a gay bar while it's a wonderful life and gay porn play in the background that is this movie in a nutshell and that opening number is all of that you are right i would have to agree with you on that one and then also on another camp level i love that after christine bransky has her big 11 o'clock please forgive me like this is a really serious moment number and then everyone's like we forgive you and it becomes a big like everyone's dancing moment the male ensemble, which my mother has dubbed the gays, every time yeah. she watches it, they come on screen. She goes, the gays. And I say, no, it's, you know, ensemble members of the national tour of Kinky Boots, probably. Christine Baranski does her whole big, you know, come to Jesus moment with the big guy. Please forgive me. And then everyone starts dancing. And then a member of the gays gets lifted by two other members of the gays and does a full on split in the air with his butt facing straight to camera. And you're like, what a great pivot we just done. Christine Baranski is trying to win an Emmy here. And then this guy's like, but ass, 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 ass. Yeah. Well, one of the dancers is Alex Wong, who was in The Greatest Showman. He's also like a big TikToker. So just wanted to throw that out there. One another reason to finally get on TikTok. What are some sharps for you? Oh, my sharps is Dolly Parton being a fully beat beggar woman. Uh <laughs> smoky uh, eye for sure i love the gays and i love the gays the mm-hmm. real gays not your mom's gays the real gays the ones in the the one the ones who vogue and then um the voguing one. that opening number i'm gonna i may be a little controversial here but go with me on it that opening number it to me is equivalent to the barn raising dance in seven brides for seven brothers like it is that iconic 
Less problematic too. Less pro- Well, the barn raising dance isn't problematic. The movie's problematic. The movie's pro- yes. Oh yeah. Which was a whole episode I did. Ha-ha. <laughs> Can't wait to listen, Gert. But I also really loved, I agree with you, Christine Baranski, Mary Lane Haskell. I'm going to throw in Jennifer Lewis because she, why not? Uh, mm-hmm. I love fairy tale. I did like try. I'm sorry. You're not. Really you want. I also love the comically large contact contract. Oh yes. With the Cheetah Mall. It was great. Cheetah Mall. Cheetah Mall. Anyway. Oh yeah. So one of the big plot devices everybody here is that uh, Regina Fuller is selling the entire town of Fullerville to the Cheetah Mall conglomerate, and uh, the pun I just got it. Yes, Cheetah like the like the animal, and then Mall. But you say it together, Cheetah Mall. I just got damn it, damn it. This movie has layers. Does it though? Yeah, like an onion. It makes you cry at the end. <laughs> I also am sharpening. The sniping dialogue between Christine Baranski and Dolly Parton. Like, you can tell if, if they weren't in the same room together, they were having the most fun with the with that dialogue. Mm. Oh, yeah. I will definitely say the movie peaks, as much as I do love fairy tale, the movie does peak with everything Christine Baranski and Dolly Parton do together. Right. Yes. Okay, so every once in a while, while I do this section i have what i call a natural which is neither a sharp nor a flat but i still just like need to talk about it so for me the choreography is just so over the place i couldn't sharp it or flat it but i just still needed to be like you existed (laughs) you were seen (laughs) i mean there's so much of it to see right and that's another reason why i highly recommend the the opening number of this movie is as if the barn raising dance from seven brides for seven brothers got into a three-way with bell from beauty and the beast and i don't know like another day of sun from la la land just in terms of you know so much happening oh so much happening yeah and i and i'm like one of the few people that openly does like la la land but i will say that opening number i always dislike every time i watch it i always forget how much i don't like that opening number because it's just so much it's just so much and Christmas on the Square is like, yeah, that's not too much. This <laughs> is too much. Oh, you wanted to cross the line? Here's the line that we crossed. Mm-hmm. Oh, th- these gays are going to turn gay for five seconds to ogle a woman in a miniskirt in 20 degree weather in Kansas. Uh, well, and then there's going to be a, an aerialist. There's going to be a random choir of five people that then disappear. Tap dancing bankers, gays at a salon, uh, an old woman who just has things to say. Lovely day. So romantic. And, and then, then a they, kid gets and then the gay ensemble dancers. And then he gets and then the kid who gets hit in the face of the snowball and says, Oh my eye. Oh, I, and then also we, we can't forget, I'm sorry, we can't forget Felicity ha- handing out eviction notices to everybody and singing in counterpoint, I'm so sorry, so sorry. It's great. I'm also naturaling the gossipy mailman. <laughs> yes. Like who has terrible gossip. He literally has a line to Christine Baranski outside of the church that has the resist, whatever her name is, Mm -hmm. uh, resist Regina. And he's like, did you hear? There's going to be a resistance against you. And then leaves. And I'm like, but why do you exist? (laughs) I mean, because listen, 
Just because you're in a movie and the lead's name is Regina doesn't make you a Karen gossipy mailman, okay? Okay. Did you like that reach I did? I did. That was as big a reach as Christine Bransky saying, I saw him hold out a ring to a girl I've never seen before. Therefore, they must be engaged. If only Felicity was named Gretchen. Anyway. She mm, is a Gretchen. (laughs) Matt, what are your flats? um, I'm not going to take too long to drag him i will just say i well there are a lot of performances in this movie that i think are legitimately quite good and ones that are very on the pulse of the camp of this movie josh Segarra, i do think is acting in a totally different movie and that bugs me but also i will say pastor christian in general is a flat of a role for me that's fair when it tries to get serious i suppose is a flat and then everybody just rushing a two-year-old with her invasive brain surgery that's a flat for me <laughs> I yeah, Violet's accident just comes out of nowhere. Also, it it bugged me when I watched it last year, and it bugged me this year. Her dad has a slash on his bicep on the outside of his bicep, mm-hmm. but there's like blood splatter on the inside of his shirt underneath his arm, and I'm just like, that doesn't make sense. Oh, that's not his blood. That's mine. When I had him uh, put me in a sexual headlock. Got it. Anyway, yeah. I saw uh, that bicep and I said, okay. Yes, please. Um, Light Your Lamp just feels like it's shoehorned into the movie and I didn't really like it. Most of these songs, I would argue, are shoehorned in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You, you could cut... There are very few that you could cut and it would make a difference. Or, <laughs> like Wicked is Switch in the Middle, you can rework the lyrics and make it work better. <laughs> There's a lyric that I didn't catch the first time. I caught it probably, let's be honest, probably on my third viewing, my third out of six viewings of this movie in Wicked is Switch to the Middle where Dolly Parton has, what she thinks is fun with a dialect moment where someone says, maybe we can ax her like A-X-E-E. And then oh. someone goes, ax her what? And they're both yes. white characters, which makes it even worse. But it's, you, you watch and you're like, Dolly, no dolly don't that's not that's not for that's not for you dolly stop it i do appreciate i, I don't think i'm gonna sh- i don't think it's worth a sharp but i do want to also shout out that i love the fact that there is like representation galore in this movie oh 100 like n- everyone's not model skinny you've got every color under the rainbow you've got every mm-hmm. size there is so I I really love I I really did appreciate that not a sharp but <laughs> I said it's a, it's um I would say it's slightly unnatural because we do have all of that and I can't really complain that there are no Jews as it is Christmas on the square and the town has seven people in it so but I don't know I would have loved to have seen like in the distance the town did have a synagogue like it doesn't have to be part of the plot but just to show hey not everyone here is uh for Jesus. Would you would you would you assume that the church may act as just a holy place and sometimes it's a church and sometimes it's a synagogue? Like Stars Hollow? Like Stars Hollow. You've got the reference. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Um yeah, on, I would have loved that. I could. It absolutely could. And this is a town where I would honestly see that happening. Yes. That that I would love that. If they if they were ever to do a sequel, um Hanukkah in the lane or something like that uh, hanukkah oh. on the avenue but it would i would 
I would like to see that sequel. And I think that would be fun. And this time Regina has to resist someone else doing a whole thing with the town. Oh, with her deus ex machina son, Pastor Christian. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I also love how everyone just all these giant twists and turns that really screw up your life when you think about it, just are blindly accepted. But that is how it is usually in musicals and especially in holiday movies. Like she It's like, oh, what a, I thought I knew was a lie. OK, she hands him a Bible at the end and she's like, hey, it's written in a Bible, so it's true. Yep. What? No. Anyway, no. Matt, what songs would you add to your life's playlist from this movie? <gasps> Um, I guess and it depends. For this question, I more so mean like, you know, you're walking around the city or you're in a car on a trip somewhere. So there's no okay. visuals, basically. No no visuals. And okay, so we're talking about something that I would like bop out to, you're saying. Right, yeah. Okay. What if I said the like your lamp number? No, not that one. I guess I would say, oh, you know what it is? It would be Everybody Needs an Angel. I think that song is kind of a bop. That's the one where where Dolly's training Felicity and she does the random dance bit in the studio where they randomly go to a dance studio and she dances. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that's and I I remember seeing that going, why? It happened for five seconds and it makes no sense. It doesn't do anything except to show off that she can dance. And then I looked it up and found out that she is a dancer. And I think that, I want to say it's So You Think You Can Dance, that that's what got her known. So I think that was her like little nod to that. But otherwise it's a bop. Waiting for her to be in another musical movie that's not yep. Dolly Parton related. Listen, that girl can rock a sweater uh, collared shirt combo like anybody. No one so, else. No one else. Um, and a chunky necklace. I wrote try because without the visuals of it, it's pretty good. We're not going to lie. I do want, maybe oh. I want to listen to Dolly's version too, but like for the movie, I did like the vocalists. Mm-hmm. Or the vocals of it, I should say, and then fairy tale. Yeah, give fairy t- give, give that you know infant the credit where credits due. She's only three months old, and she's singing the top part of the harmony with Christine Baranski, and she just had her notes removed five seconds earlier. So you know, <laughs> what is brain surgery to a three month old that way? You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and on that note, Matt. We're done with the episode. Yay. Yay. We did Thank it. you so much for having me. Is there anything you want to plug or promote? Well, my podcast, Broadway Breakdown, which you can find literally anywhere you listen to podcasts, will be on a bit of a hiatus when this episode comes out, but it'll be coming back with a vengeance in January of 2022. The podcast does sort of deep dives into Broadway shows, analyzing the history and legacy of Broadway, uh, either through the works of a specific artist or specific trends. I did Stephen Sondheim. I just finished at this point, uh, the British invasion, which is, you know, shows that transferred from London. And then in January, I am going to be doing the Broadway works of Janine Tesori, January with Janine. Yeah. And then (laughs) after her, well, not Janine will not, will not be all of January, but She'll be going into February, but we start in January with Janine. And then after her is a series on cult classics shows that did not have immediate success on Broadway, but due to strong fan bases have had a second life. So shows like Candide, Carrie, Sideshow, Smile, uh, a couple of things like that. So oh my God, please have me on for one of those. 
<laughs> oh no, you're you're coming on to one of those. I haven't finished the set list for the cult shows, but you're definitely coming on for one of those. I have a couple of other fun podcast people coming on. And anybody who listens to the podcast, the fact that I'm going to finally have an episode about Smile is huge news. So get I ready. Love Smile, kind of. Smile's amazing. And I don't mean that in a Diana uh, Christmas on the Square. Right? I mean, like, Smile could be revived today and it would work. No, it, no, it could. It could. Because It needs I will to say be that, fixed. Well, have you? are you referring to the Broadway version or the Samuel French version? Because the Samuel French version fixes a lot of stuff. I don't know what version I did, but it still felt a little chunky wonky. Um, I mean, the Big Bob stuff is kind of, you know, that's the try for me of the show, Big Bob stuff. But <laughs> if you have a decent enough Bob and you kind of just get on through it, it's it's a little necessary. But everything that the show has to say about the character of Maria Gonzalez and sort of uh, the double standard she gets in that, that she has to deal with in that show, very relevant to today uh, and how she used, she is the only character in Smile who's aware that she's living in 1986, California, and that the only thing that these judges know about Latin culture is West Side Story and Saludos Amigos. So she's like, I need to win this more than I need to like actually educate them. So I will lean into the stereotype and I will win this. And what- By doing uh, guacamole dance. Yeah. And what proves her right is that she wins talent that night. She proves that the judges are stupid, stupid white people. And if you want to smile with us, or if you want to, you know, give us your thoughts and feelings on Christmas on the square, sorry, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the square. Get that's, right. a full, that's the full title. I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. Dolly Parton. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at buttersongpod. And if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, we're going to be talking about Anna and the Apocalypse. Matt, thank you so, so much for agreeing to come on my dog and pony show. Uh, you will be coming back for sure with a vengeance. Thank you future. so much for having me. I look forward to coming back. Thank you for, I mean, I honestly, guys, I hardcore harassed you to put me on here. I said, here's what needs to happen. I yeah. need to come on and you're going to like it and, and it's going to be good. And I said, we're first going to do a holiday show and then we're going to see what happens. Woohoo! And now John has regretted everything because after this episode, I've seen worse. I'm going to tell you, I've seen worse. <laughs> so this is not bad. I'll take I'll take Christmas on the Square over Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Oh, that is 100 accurate. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers is the musical version to me of Ben Hur, where it's like there is 10 minutes that is really exciting, and that's what it's famous for, and everything else around it blows. Like I think I had to take a shower afterwards because I felt so gross and dirty. Yeah. yeah yeah men don't yeah. look very good after that movie nobody looks good no gender looks good in that movie but men especially it's like oh are we just animals in flannel yes yes we are <laughs> yes we anyway are. bye for now everyone bye special thanks to justin johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to nick bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.